Well, I appreciate the uh, kind and gracious introduction um, and the opportunity that your church has given to me to come and uh, stand here today and, and open up God's Word and, and, and preach. And um, as Eric said, I was uh, privileged with the opportunity to be a part of the men's retreat. And uh, that was a real blessing and uh, rich encouragement. Um, we studied uh, a phrase from this man, Paul, that we'll look at today called Gaining Christ. And spent a couple of days digging into that. And we'll conclude our study on this gaining of Christ. And I just want to say especially uh, to anyone here who's visiting that uh, we are very thankful that you are here. And uh, it's good that you're here. Maybe you're here because you are a believer in Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord that God has given you grace. Maybe you're here because you do not know the Lord. You do not know the truth of God yet. It's not been applied to your soul. And if that's the case, we're very thankful that you're here. Uh, because uh, whoever was standing right now behind this uh, pulpit would be preaching to you and teaching you the truth of God. Uh, because as I understand, this church preaches from the Holy Bible of God. And it's the truth of God that God has given to His people. So that we may know Him, understand Him, know His plan for this universe. It is God who has created the universe. It is God who has given His plan. It is God who speaks to man. It is God who has determined the truth. And it is God who has revealed this truth. And this book right here, the Holy Bible of God, is a means by which we understand God's truth. So, praise the Lord that you are here. Um, our uh, passage today comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians found in the New Testament. And uh, if you have your Bible, please turn to Philippians, which as you know is right after the book of Ephesians, right before the book of Colossians. And if you have a, uh, don't have a Bible, there's plenty of pew Bibles here. And on page 980 of that Bible, you will find uh, Paul's letter uh, to the Philippians. And just to give you a brief uh, contextual understanding, Paul was a Jewish man who uh, by the grace of God was uh, brought to completion in his Jewishness into faith in the Messiah, the Lord, the Jesus Christ, is Paul's salvation and his rightness with God. And as a result of that amazing grace in this man's life, he cast himself forward by God's direction to preach the good news and help others know this same glorious truth that had overwhelmed him. And one... Uh, one Saturday, the Sabbath, for Paul and his friends, they were in the city of Philippi, which was uh, previously Asia Minor, now modern-day Turkey, and they were going down to pray and worship together, and they found uh, some lady named Lydia and some of her friends, and Paul preached the gospel to her, and she became a believer. And then later, because of Paul's preaching, he ran into some trouble with the city authorities in Philippi, and they put him in the city prison, and uh, God miraculously... Uh, broke him out of his chains and opened the doors and did a miracle and the Philippian jailer came to know uh, Christ and his family and a church was planted. And so Paul later, later in his uh, pastoral life wrote a letter from probably the city of Rome while he was once again under arrest to encourage this group of believers. 
And this letter of Philippians is one of encouragement and joy and motivation. And um, over the weekend, the men and I, well, we, we looked at chapter 3, and uh, today our, our passage is verse 20 through 21, and I'm just going to very briefly uh, give us a, uh, a recap as we go into it. Basically what Paul is saying is he gives what might be his life mission statement is that before I thought that I was right with God because of all the good things I did religiously and my family contest, etc. And uh, I realized that that had no bearing whatsoever on my status with God. That it was the Lord and is the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to gain Christ and He is my righteousness with God. And then he goes on to say even further that that not only do I want to have Christ as my righteousness with God, which I now do, I want to know this Christ, this Savior, personally. I want to know Christ, and I want to grow in my relationship with Him. And then Paul goes on to say that not only do I want to grow in my relationship with Christ, I want to become like Christ. Like a little boy wants to be like his, his favorite athlete, I want to be like my hero, my captain, my savior, my king. I want to be like the Lord Jesus. And even so much so that I want to experience the challenges, the sufferings, and the difficulties that Jesus faced in His life on earth. Knowing that one day I will be headed home to His kingdom. And He then says that it is for this reason, it's for this purpose, it's for this goal that I press and push my entire life going after Christ, helping others do the same, knowing that one day I will be in His kingdom. And so with that in mind, we come to uh, the last few verses in chapter 3 of Philippians, which I will read to you. And he says, Brothers and sisters, included there of course, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I often have told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And their glory is in their shame. With their minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So it is now my privilege and responsibility by God's grace in the next few moments together to try to explain and uh, what all that means. And so will you please pray with me uh, as I seek the Lord's wisdom and, and grace to do that wonderful task. Oh, holy God, we praise You and thank You for uh, Your amazing, amazing grace that has extended Yourself and Your love and Your kindness and Your kingdom to dirtball sinners like us. And that You have given us Your truth in Your Word, not on a YouTube video, but in Your book here, the truth of history, the truth of life, the truth of You, the truth of us, and the truth of Your Son, who has provided the only way 
back to you. And we pray that in these next few moments, Lord, that you will help the one speaking now to be faithful in this task, to proclaim your truth joyfully and truthfully, and that you would use it to dig into the souls of all the people here, especially those perhaps who do not yet believe. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ. You are the King, the Alpha and the Omega. We ask for your Spirit to give us grace and comfort and wisdom and focus. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you. Uh, going back a little further, uh, the reason that Paul wrote this letter is because Paul was a man loaded with love and he cared very deeply about the believers in Philippi. And his intention in writing this letter uh, basically was to encourage them and to warn them. Uh, because there was a little bit of trouble in Philippi. The trouble was twofold. First, Philippi had become a Roman colony. And that was a big deal. Because Rome was a big empire of the world. And they had come and, and made Philippi one of their colonies. And so there was a lot of allure now for these people in Philippi. A lot of opportunity. A lot of privilege. A lot of temptation. Business opportunity. Social opportunity. Status opportunity. And this little city had now become part of this big powerhouse. And as a result of that, the temptation would be to maybe turn away from your faithful embrace and focus on your Savior and turn towards the privileges and the opportunities that you now have being a part of the wonderful Roman Empire. In addition to that, Paul wanted to warn the people and encourage the people because life as a believer was not easy, especially at this time. For you and me in America, life as a believer is not so difficult most of the time for whatever reason. But at this time, it was very difficult because Rome was persecuting Christians because Christians would bow down to Jesus, this invisible Savior, rather than worship Caesar. And so life was difficult, not to mention the fact that the world is loaded with sin, loaded with hurt, loaded with greedy, hurtful people that do difficult things, and people this time were suffering immensely. And so Paul, out of his love and wisdom as a pastor, wrote to warn and encourage these people. And the same is for you and me today. This letter written 2,000 years ago is for you and me today. We're not in Philippi. We're in Arlington, Virginia. But we are the people of God. And the same trouble faces you and me. You live here in Arlington. You work in Capitol Hill. Some of you have phenomenal jobs. You have wonderful experiences. You've got status, influence, privileges. And that makes the flesh feel good. The United States of America has a lot to offer. While the American dream is a big deception, we buy into it and we chase after it. And God has said to focus your attention on what I've done and who I am, and especially and specifically my son. In addition, life is difficult. Whether you're working on Capitol Hill and maybe you have an influential name and position, life is very difficult. 
It comes with hurt, sin, suffering, loss, persecution, loss of friends. If you're standing up for the gospel and really moving forward, people will reject you. And they will think bad things about you and slander you. Not to mention that you have the devil and people, his, his demons and his arsenal coming after believers. And so, Paul's reminder for you and me is to be encouraged. Something great awaits you and me. Be encouraged. The love of God has overwhelmed you. Be encouraged. Stay strong. Stay the course. And do not get caught up in the entrapments of this capitalistic, opportunistic world. That's the background. But our text here that we're going to focus on is two verses at the end of this chapter. And Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. And the task that God's given me today is to ask and answer three questions. The questions are this. Who are the we who are waiting a Savior from heaven? Question number two. Who is it exactly that we are waiting for from heaven? And question number three that we will answer is why are we awaiting this one from heaven? Okay? So, question number one. Who are the we who are waiting a Savior from heaven? Well, who was the we that Paul is referring to in this letter? He says in the very beginning of this letter, in chapter 1, he writes to all the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The we who are waiting for a Savior from heaven are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul refers to these people, just as the Bible has throughout, as saints. Saints. Not super exceptional, good, successful, wonderful, very religiously inclined, good, oriented people. Sinners saved by the grace of God and given the righteousness of Jesus Christ and as a result, declared by God to be right, to be righteous, to be holy in His sight. People who are literally, spiritually united to the Lord Jesus Christ. To the saints in Christ. This letter is written to men and women, boys and girls, who are spiritually united to the Lord Jesus Christ. In a mystical and mysterious union, more powerful and even more intimate than the union between a husband and a wife. As Christ Himself lives in you, God lives in you. This is the we that this Letters written to in the we who is waiting for a Savior from heaven. People who have no confidence in their flesh. You may be here today and you may think, well, look at this church. 
Look at this man preaching today in his suit and his tie. He looks so nice. He must be a good man and right with God. Wrong. It has nothing to do with anything I'm wearing. Because if you really knew the truth about me, you would know that I am a sinner. A, a, and I've been a sinner in my past. And I'm in desperate need of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whether you serve on Capitol Hill or you work in the cemetery, whether you're from Texas or from Virginia or from Asia or wherever you are, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a righteous person in God's sight who trusts in nothing other than the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ for your rightness with God. And it, this is who is waiting for a Savior for he, from heaven. Because if you're not a believer, not yet a believer, then you are definitely not waiting from anything, for anything from heaven. Because as the Bible says about you, and as it said about me before God graciously opened my heart, you are on the run from anything from heaven. You are an enemy of God right now. It sounds harsh. That's how the Bible explains it. For 20 years of my life, I was an enemy of God. Even when I thought I was good with God and a friend of God because my birthday is on Christmas Day. I love my sin more than God. I love the world and what the world offered to me more than God. Even though I went to church and did religious things. The truth is, if you sit here, not yet a genuine believer in Jesus, you are not waiting for anything from heaven. And your hope is that God better wait before He comes down from heaven. Because if He comes now before you believe, it will not be good for you. That is God's truth. You see, as we know, God is very gracious to save people. And God is very, very gracious to be patient with people. And God is very gracious to preach the truth to people so that people will know what they need to be saved and have this hope that believers have of heaven. So we are waiting for a Savior from heaven. Then who is it exactly that we are waiting from heaven? A Savior Paul writes, let's see what Paul calls him, this one that we are waiting for from heaven. A Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. What a magnificent name. The Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what His name means? It means Master God, the Lord is salvation, anointed one forever. That is quite a name. That is His name. Let's break it down. The Lord. What does that mean? Lord means Master. He is the Master. He is your Master. Whether you like it or not, believe Him or not, He is your Master. Whether you voted for the current President or not, He is your President. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Master. He is Lord. That means that He's equal with God. Paul says earlier in this chapter that He will be given the name that is above all names. The name that is above all names is the covenantal name of God, Yahweh in Hebrew. He is Yahweh. 
The Lord Jesus Christ is God. He is the second person of the Trinity. He is God the Son. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is Master. Jesus. His name is Jesus. His earthly name is Jesus. What does Jesus mean? It means the Lord is salvation. You will give Him the name Jesus, the angel told Mary, because He will save His people from their sins. The Lord is salvation. There is no other salvation from the wrath of God and the flood of fire that's coming on this planet independent of what God gave in His Son. The Lord is our salvation. The Lord accomplished salvation. The Lord, the Son of God, came down from heaven and became a person, became a human being so that He would live a righteous life, the only one who ever did, and He would, at about the age of 33, would be executed, crucified, crushed by God's own hand on a cross, so much so that it pleased the Lord to crush Him. Because on Him was poured out the full wrath of God for the sins of God's people, so that they would be saved, because God is fully satisfied. The Master, the Lord is salvation. Christ, Christos, Mashiach in Hebrew, Messiah. It just means anointed one. He is the King. King of what? Well, Pilate, before his execution, wondering who is this man that the people want to execute, looked at Jesus as a governor in, the, in, in Jerusalem and said, are, okay, are you a king? And Jesus, what did He say? I'm a king. But my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is a heavenly king. The Lord Jesus Christ right now is the king. The king of the universe. If He's coming from heaven, that's where He is. After the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, He was put in a grave and by the power of God raised back to life and then 40 days later ascended into heaven. Literally ascended into heaven. And He is seated right now at the right hand of God the Father. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the King of the universe. He is the Creator of the universe. He holds the universe together by the power of His Word. And He will come and judge the living and the dead. He determines everything that will happen. He gives life to people. He speaks for God. Nicodemus, a religious man at the time, very curious about this man Jesus, went to him and said, you must be a teacher who has come from God. Jesus kind of scoffed at him and said, Nicodemus, let me tell you what, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. You see, independent of God's grace, you cannot see this Jesus as a king. You may see him as a great teacher, a wonderful example, even a prophet. There's religions around the world that refer to Jesus as a great teacher and even a prophet. But there's apparently other prophets, even though the Word of God says, this is the final prophet. Listen to him. He's more than a teacher. He's more than a prophet. He is the supreme entity in the entire universe. 
And He sits right now as we speak, seated in heaven, running this entire universe. That is who we are waiting for. And I encourage you, my friend, if you sit here today, confused about God, running from God, preferring your life of sinful passions and pleasures, which according to the Bible literally control you. You are a slave of the devil, literally. That's what the Bible says. Paul said it. He even said it about himself. I was a slave of my passions and pleasures and my flesh, and the devil ran us ragged. That would you please, please consider this truth that this man Jesus is the eternal Son of God, and He is the King of the universe, and He is the way and the provision and the life that God has given to mankind. Because if you reject this one in your heart, it will be terrifying when He returns. Terrifying. And as Paul says in chapter 2 of Philippians, whether you love Him, know Him, believe in Him, or trust Him, you will bow down to this King. You will bow down. Because Paul says, because God says, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, King. He is exalted now, seated on His throne. He's a promised, eternal, anointed one. He is a Messiah. And as some Jewish friends of mine in Israel said, are you telling me, Brig, that that man with the long blonde hair who wore a linen dress is the Messiah? And I would say, well, huh, Ellie, he probably didn't have long blonde hair and the blue eyes that you see in many portraits. He looked more like you than he did like an American. And he didn't wear a dress. He wore a tunic. He dressed like everyone else did that day. But absolutely, yes, I'm telling you that that man, Jesus, who lived 2,000 years ago and was bloodied up on that Roman cross, yes, He's the Son of God, your Messiah. And if you believe in Him, you will live with Him forever and you will be in His kingdom. And the only reason I can tell you this is because God's grace has come to me before maybe it's come to you. I'm no better than you are. God's grace comes when it comes. If you don't believe in this one, you will bow down to Him and you will praise Him and worship Him as the King, but it will not be good for you during that moment and there ever after. <laughs> so praise the Lord that He can open up the eyes of blind people spiritually and make us aware that without a YouTube video, without photographic evidence, there was a man who was slaughtered and raised and is now literally seated in glory and heaven above. Amen. By the grace of God, who burst people again, born again, spiritually, to understand the wonderful, gracious truth of God. Sounds like Harry Potter if you're not a believer. But it is true, man. It is absolutely true. 
boy, girl, sir, ma'am, it is true. But here's the good part. Question number three. This is Paul's encouragement. So why are we sinners saved by grace, declared by God to be saints, waiting for this Lord Jesus Christ from heaven? That's our question. Well, first of all, we're not just waiting. As the ESV translates here in this section. Translates later in Hebrews, eagerly waiting. The word means to eagerly wait with expectation. We are eagerly awaiting a Savior from heaven. Eagerly. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, then this is what you do. Believers, true believers, are waiting for this King to come from heaven. It is no option. It's the disposition that God puts in you. That's what Paul's been writing here. That's what Paul, we talked about this weekend. It's all about this one. You gain Christ and trusting in Christ for righteousness with God. You gain Christ by knowing Christ personally and growing in that knowledge. You gain Christ by becoming like Him spiritually and even experiencing the life that He experienced of suffering and difficulty and God hammering you to make you more mature. And you gain Christ because He's coming back from heaven personally. That is what believers do. Listen to Paul himself. Listen to these words and ask yourself, do I think like this man? Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ, verse, verse 8 and so on, knowing Christ my Lord, on account of which I, Paul, have suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish. The word is actually harsher than that and, and cruder than that. But we'll stay with rubbish here today. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, which I once thought, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, comes by faith, that I may know Christ and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. And here we go. Not that I've already obtained this, Paul says, or I've already been made perfect, but here's my heart. Listen carefully. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own yet, but one thing I do, I'm forgetting what lies behind and I'm straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That was Paul's hope. To live as Christ, to die as gain. Can you say that? Because this is the disposition of all the believers throughout the Bible. David said, Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. His loving kindness chases after me all the days of my life, literally. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You have made known to me the path of life, David writes in Psalm 16. 
You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. A thousand years before the Messiah, David's already thinking about that glorious day because of the Messiah. Jesus says that even Abraham longed to see his coming. He saw it and was exceedingly glad. Isaiah talks about it, the greatness of it, the terror of it. This day, Ezekiel does, Daniel talks about it in visions, and James and Peter. You know, Peter writes in his first letter to the believers, and he says this to you and me. He says, set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Christ Jesus the grace and the power and the glory to be brought to you on the day of Christ, i.e. the day of the Lord, i.e. the day of God, i.e. the last day when this one, our King, returns from heaven. That is who we are. That is what we do. That is why we are so eagerly awaiting for the Lord because that is what God puts in our heart. And if it's not in your heart, well then Paul says, here you go, believer. Let all of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. No option. This is what God's doing. Making your heart desire Christ and His return above all things. And I can tell you, I have desired a lot of things and look forward to many things. And it's amazing what God does in the heart of selfish sinners like me. And I suppose you too. But why, do, why are we so eagerly awaiting the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven? Why? Why do we feel this way? Because God has radically changed your life. We were on the run from God. Literally. And God came down and grabbed us. And He saved us. And He rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Not these walls, outside of these walls. And He has transferred us in the kingdom of the Son. And He has given you new life and a new heart. And you're a new creation. You're not the same person you were. Even though you look the same, you kind of talk the same without some of the language that you once used perhaps. You do a few different things. Your personality is the same. But spiritually, you're totally different. And God did this all by His grace. That's why Paul uses this word grace, which means unmerited favor from God, because God did it, and He changed your life. Right, Stephen? He completely changed your life, even though your dad was a pastor, and you grew up in the church, and you had all the books and the stories. It wasn't because your dad's a pastor. It wasn't because of anything about your dad. It was because your heavenly Father saved you, and birthed you again, and made you His son. So now you have two fathers. Your dad is a pastor on earth and your heavenly father in heaven. Amen to that. Why do we so eagerly wait a Savior from heaven? Because our citizenship is in heaven. <laughs> That's what Paul says. But our citizenship is in heaven. What does that mean? That means that you literally reside in heaven. The Bible says you're more a citizen of heaven than you are of Arlington, Virginia. Or St. Louis, Missouri, or Houston, Texas, or any place on this earth. You are a citizen of heaven. Spiritually, Paul says, you have been raised and you are seated in Christ. In Ephesians 2, Colossians chapter 3 says, you've been raised with Christ. 
where your Savior is, you are there also. It's kind of like some, there's, there might be someone in here who's pregnant, I think. And wherever this baby is, wherever mommy is, the baby is. So if mommy's sitting on the third row, the baby is too because the baby's in mommy. And that's the, re that's the reality of believers. We are spiritually united to our Savior Christ mysteriously. Where He is, we are too. That's the truth. And so much so that Peter, the writer of Hebrews, says that we are strangers now of this planet. We are strangers and aliens on earth. And even Abraham and all the people who are admired for their amazing faith in Hebrews chapter 11 were longing for another place. They knew that they were strangers and exiles in this world. They were longing for a heavenly place because they knew that God was preparing a city for them. And it's not Arlington, it's not Houston, it's not Washington, St. Louis, Amsterdam, Edinburgh, Carmel. It's heaven. And that's your citizenship. That's where you belong. Your name is written in heaven if you belong to the King. And for those of us who want to admire this very beautiful planet, it's beautiful. I mean, there's some beautiful places. I've seen some beautiful places. I'm sure you've seen more beautiful places. But as you're studying downstairs in your uh, Sunday school, going through 2 Peter 3, the truth is this entire planet and universe is going to be completely disintegrated. Completely disintegrated when the Lord Jesus Christ decides to let go of His hold and His power on this universe. 2 Peter 3 discusses it. It will disintegrate like a roar. Fire, gone. Stars, universe, its size, gone. Our galaxy, it's big, it's literally small compared to the universe, gone. Because there's a new heaven and new earth, the home where righteousness dwells, where God is preparing for us. We are eagerly waiting a Savior, the Lord Jesus from heaven, because the kingdom of heaven is where Christ is taking us. <laughs> you are going to the kingdom of heaven. I'm okay with math. But I, I, can, I can calculate this if it's, if it's good calculation. God created the earth in six days, literally. Six 24-hour periods. That's impossible. All things are possible with God. Literally, the Son of God is the one who actually created it. Six days. Jesus told His disciples the night before He was executed that He is going away to prepare a place for us. That was 2,000 years ago. And He hasn't come yet. But He is coming. This place is beyond what you can imagine. Paul writes to the Corinthians quoting the Old Testament that no eye has seen no ear has heard, no mind, even some of your minds which are brilliant, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. The place in the kingdom of God. Without sin, without, without hurt, forever, God's place, God's kingdom, He's taking you there. And last two things, why are we waiting for a Savior from heaven so eagerly? Because as Paul says, 
when He comes, He will transform, transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body. Now the human body is marvelous. It is capable of amazing things. Your brain is more powerful than a supercomputer. You have so much DNA in your body that one strand has like 6,000 pages of information on it. If you took all the DNA of your body, the blueprint of the cell, and you attached it, then you would wrap around from here to the moon. You wrap around the moon 6,000 times. You're, you're producing 25 million new cells every second. That's three times the population of Virginia every second. And some people can throw things 100 miles an hour. They can run over 20 miles an hour. They're strong and they can do things. But your body is lowly. It is dishonorable. It has sin in it. It is of the flesh. And your body one day will be transformed into the glorious body of Jesus Christ. And we don't know a lot about that. But it's a powerful eternal body because as Paul says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven and so God has prepared an eternal glorious supernatural powerful body for you that will be like his glorious body so that you can withstand the glory and the power and the heat of God face to face and then lastly why are we why was Paul so eagerly awaiting the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. Because as Paul says, Jesus Christ is your life. This is the ultimate gain of your life. The climax of all of history when the Lord Jesus Christ in all of His power, with all of His angels, all of the fire, all the amazing things that will happen, on the day of the Lord, the last day comes and you will see Him face to face and He will take you to be with God face to face and you will have the ultimate gain, the completion of God's eternal plan that you will be face to face a bride of the bridegroom, the Lord Jesus Christ and His kingdom and you should be more excited about that than you were 24 hours before your own wedding if you have one. And I can say again to those of you who are not married that Jesus Christ is more powerful, stimulating, satisfying than an earthly marriage. And I have a great one and a beautiful wife and two boys. That the ultimate gain of your life is when this King comes back and takes you to be with Him face to face. That is the Christian life. To gain Christ and to have Him as your righteousness with God, to know Him deeply and intimately and grow in that knowledge, to be like Him, to be matured by God's gracious hand in your life, to be like Him, and to one day know and to one day have this King, this One, face to face, in person, forever in the Kingdom of God. Why would we not be eagerly awaiting that I hope somehow that what was said and what was read has encouraged and instructed your heart. Thank you for having me. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you for this church and the work you're doing and the uh, power of your word and the truth of it in this great day 
that you have planned where your son literally will come, not on a donkey, as he did the first time into Jerusalem, but will come down in all of his glory to take us who belong to him into your heavenly kingdom, to experience you, see you, and know you in the full, face to face, forever. We thank you, Lord God, for this blessed hope. We praise you and pray in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.